Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Rare Bird Radio. This is Karen Stefano, author of the memoir, What a Body Remembers. And with me today is the author, Amber Vandebunt, author of Overcome, a memoir of abuse, addiction, sex work, and recovery. How are you, Amber? I'm doing really good. I'm getting excited as my book release date gets closer. What's your What's your actual release date? July twenty third. Ah, so coming up. Yeah. So and and I have to warn you, you're going to have to brace yourself because um, I was uh, coming back from Los Angeles yesterday. I was actually on someone else's podcast, and um, I I was crying on the train. I'm probably going to start crying right now because. Um, all my friends kept texting me with photos of the book, you know, holding the book that they'd just gotten because they'd pre-ordered it and they were posting it on Twitter and whatnot. And I just got so choked up. So I'm warning you, prepare yourself because the same thing's going to happen to you. I know. I already get like that when people send me their pre-orders. Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. The pictures of their pre-orders, uh, the screenshots, it just, it's crazy and it makes it, it doesn't even seem real that it's going to happen, like that my right. book's going to be out. Right. So, I, so it's, yeah, I definitely think I'll feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm giving you a heads up having experienced it yesterday. So Amber, in the book, uh, Overcome, you talk about how at age 18, you left your small town home in uh, Michigan and you went to live in Florida with your abusive mother. And you did this because at this time in your life, it was your dream of becoming a stripper. And you note uh, early in chapter two, I think it was that you, unlike most women, who choose that profession didn't do it for the need of money. And you discuss in the book pretty extensively what need it was fulfilling. Can you share a little bit of that with our listeners today? Yeah, I always just, since I even knew what sex workers were, I don't know what it was. Honestly, I just genuinely always wanted to do it. I don't know if it was an attention thing or just because I'm just very naturally sexual. But that was my that was my dream at that time. Like I wasn't, I never really thought any college career would be in my future. I just really wanted to strip and I knew I could go stay with my mom. And you know, part of me was still hurting that I didn't have a relationship with her. So, you know, up until a few years ago, I kept still having hanging on to hope that she would change. So it was kind of like a two in one, like my dad and people didn't understand why I would want to go live with her when, you know, I hated her my whole life, mm-hmm. but I was just hoping that things could get better. And I knew I could also pursue stripping down there. And, and, and what satisfaction did you get in stripping? I think it was just like freedom. Like I was able to do what I wanted and when I was when before I left for Florida I was living in my dad's home and there wasn't much I could really do there so I just kind of felt like I was on my own I was making this decision something I always wanted to do and it just it was just 
doing something that I wanted to do regardless of what people thought. It just was a good mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in the book, you talk about your very first night stripping and going back to your dressing room to count your money. And you describe the rush you felt coming off stage. And uh, uh, it you know, it really brought me in as a reader to experience that, that rush that you described. Oh, definitely. Every time I got off stage, even after that first night, every night for years on, every time you get off stage and, you know, at least if you have a good show and you're getting tips, it's just, it's kind of like when you were scared to ride a roller coaster and you get off and you want to do it again. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that. Like it's, it's kind of like, it's another like, a scary thing like that to put yourself up in front of a room in front of a bunch of strangers and dance. But to me, I had no, there was nothing in me that felt like it was wrong. Like I wasn't doing it for the money, like I said, which isn't a bad thing, but it was something I genuinely wanted to do. So to me, it was just like the perfect option for work because I didn't have anything against that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that at least in my reading, and tell me if you agree or disagree, that one of the underlying themes in your book, kind of like my book in a in a very different way, but is about the logistics, for lack of a better word, of inhabiting a female body. It's a different experience to be a woman in our society, no matter what your profession is. And like in my book, I talk about, you know, if, if, you're, if you're living inside a female body, being female dictates so much of your life. It dictates how you get yourself from, from point A to point B. You don't walk alone uh, in certain right. neighborhoods late at night. And and so certainly there are a lot of disadvantages of inhabiting a female body, but there are a lot of positives too. And I, I just wanted to get your take on what you think those positives are as well as the negatives. If the positives, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've experienced a lot of positive just for my profession. Um, I'm able to get make my money based upon being a woman, you know, it's harder for a male stripper or a male porn star to make as much income. So it's always kind of worked in my advantage and in my life. Mm -hmm. But um, of course, then putting myself out there, like that does come creepy messages and creepy guys who are constantly think they can because I'm putting myself out there, they think that they can treat me however they want. Mm hmm. So that's definitely the con. But I mean, I feel like it kind of balances itself out because I just expect it with my work that some guys are going to act that way. But I think being a female is very powerful. Yeah, I do. I do, too. Um, Early in the book, uh, you I think you were 13 or 13 ish and you're with your uh, 13 year old girlfriends and you lie and you tell them yes you've had sex and you described it to them as 
when like when you it's like when you fall off a bike and scrape both of your knees at the same time and uh, where did that come from amber <laughs> i have no idea but my cousin was one of the girls there and i eventually told her like when we were a little older that it was wasn't true once we were like, teenagers and she that's like her thing she tells me every time she sees me she goes and it felt like I hurt both my knees so I don't know why I mean I guess I just kind of was expecting that when it does happen it's going to hurt and I was so like I guess I was so young at the time that that's like something that hurt me is when I fall off my bike <laughs> um well I can tell you I'm never gonna forget that line as long as I, I as long as I live and I'm sure you kind of scared the crap out of your poor friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah their faces were all shocked They're like, oh. oh my god um later in the book you describe how you get involved with a shithead uh named Ryan in the book, you get pregnant, you get an abortion, and you feel tremendous emotional pain. And yet you promptly find a way to mash that pain down uh, in a way you describe in a chapter titled Love at First Snort. And uh, in my own book, I talk uh, uh, about a, a different kind of trauma that I experienced. And uh, the way I dealt with it um, wasn't by cocaine. That just wasn't in my in my wheelhouse um, because I was so young at that time. But right. I just pressed everything down, pressed everything down. And I, it's something... Uh, you know, reading your book and thinking about my own experiences and experiences of my friends, I kind of feel like we humans will do anything to avoid emotional pain. Um, and we just, we just, we don't want to go through it. We don't want to do the work to process our pain. Would right. you, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think that's why I was had such a bad addiction to drugs and alcohol because I found that it would just erase everything. I wasn't in the moment because I was blacking out. So my thoughts weren't there with me. I didn't have to think about anything. And it's way easier to just pretend like you're not feeling these things and to numb your pain than, you know, actually going through and dealing with those emotions. It's It's hard and it's scary to feel everything. And that's something I've had to do in my the last four years of sobriety is I don't have a choice to mask it anymore. And I'm trying to deal with emotions instead of pushing them down. But it's it's definitely harder, but it's it's healthy. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's healthier than uh, certainly than masking your pain with drugs or uh, alcohol, which so many people do, mm -hmm. um, or even TV. I mean, um, you know, I, I think that people, you know, myself included, will just like binge watch TV because it's just, it's an escape. Same with scrolling on your cell phone. I feel like yeah. that could be one too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, anything but uh, process our shit, right? 
Yes. Um, you, you share in the book uh, your drunk driving experiences. And uh, at one point you describe uh, getting stopped and you're charged with DUI and uh, you do great physical harm to yourself uh, in your drinking and driving experiences. And um, uh, oh, and reading that, I, I, I just wanted to share with you, I, at this point in my life, I, God knows I've driven drunk so many times Mm -hmm. and uh and have just been so so lucky and now at this point in my life I won't drive if I've had more than a half a glass of wine just because I'm so paranoid um about hurting someone else or getting a DUI and um uh and and part of it is I think is from my days as a criminal defense lawyer. And um, I represented this one kid uh, who was charged with felony drunk driving because there was an accident and his passenger was hurt very badly. And um, it it was so interesting because um, I knew how perilous it was to drive on the road that he was had been caught driving on where the accident was. I knew how hard it was to drive shit faced mm-hmm. because I'd done it myself. Oh. And so it was just such an experience of, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, but that's, you know, I don't even have a question there. It was just something that your that your description of your own drunk driving experiences um, struck it it just struck a chord with me and I just wanted to share that with you um how how many DUIs did you get I got one DUI but it should have been two um I wrote (laughs) I wrote later in the book that I got off on a DUI which is which is crazy and I'm lucky I guess that that happened and I, I should have actually gotten three because when I hit in a chapter I talk about how I hit a car at 8 a.m. in the morning and the guy didn't yeah. the police didn't even breathalyze me because it was so early in the morning he didn't even think about drunk driving but I was still right. up before yeah yeah um and I don't I don't I don't know if that would be the case now I think cops are more hip to the all-night partiers you know mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's pretty wild I actually um had another client and I'm not uh you know I'm not revealing any um privileged communications or anything here, but, um, she got stopped for drunk driving, uh, one night and she was, she was really attractive. And so she talks her way out of it and the cop lets her go. And then she proceeds to go another three miles and gets like hits another car and gets oh. stopped again and then she got arrested oh my and god like oh my god um but you know it's like we we just don't we don't we just don't learn do we <laughs> yeah, and you know like reading and writing the book you know now sober and seeing the things I I used to do and just reading that I just couldn't believe I just can't believe I'm alive, first of all, that I've never hurt someone in any of those circumstances. I used to drive blacked out every night. Mm -hmm. It's just, I I can't believe I used to do that. And it was normal. And I just, I really am lucky that I never hurt someone or myself. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is interesting uh, to put, to put those experiences on the page and yeah, on the other side of time and you're sober now and have been for a while. And it, it must've been painful to, to put this down on the page. It was a lot, honestly, most chapters, cause to write, you have to kind of close your eyes, relive the moment, remember the sounds, the smells, like every detail to write about it. So it's just kind of reliving all of the trauma all over again and all of the mm -hmm. things that you've done. So a lot of it was really hard. And, and so, um, how did you, how did you cope with that? I mean, certainly you were triggered, um, going back and kind of reliving these difficult periods of your life. But I mean, you know, so you're sitting down to write, you kind of come out of the haze that is writing and, you know, you're carrying the emotions you've purposely churned up because you're mm -hmm. writing this book. How did you, how did you co cope with that? So I wrote most of the book through my pregnancy. So I also had pregnancy hormones. So I was just, nice. I, <laughs> probably not the best time to write about stuff like that, but I had a lot of free time then. Um, so I got, I definitely was very emotional through it. Like where, when my husband would come home from work, he'd be, he'd know if I wrote about something tough that day by like my demeanor. Um, so it was hard and I didn't, at that time I was living in Pensacola because that's where my husband was stationed. And it was in the same city that I knew my mom was living in. And I, this is after a point where I don't have a relationship with her. So I kind of just hated where I was living and kind of just stayed in the house writing pretty much my whole pregnancy. It was a really emotional pregnancy. Yeah, um, I, I guess so. Um, you know, speaking of your mother, um, at some point, I thought this was really interesting. You just started, you stopped referring to her as your mother. You just called her by her first name. And I don't know if this is her real name, but in the book, it's Kim. And it, it seems like that was a conscious way to defeat the relationship that is the mother-daughter experience. Um, is did you do kind of do that consciously or absolutely? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my sisters. One of my sisters still has like a really like talks to my mom once in a while, but me and my other sister who have no relationship, we when we text about her or talk about her, I say Kim. And they know to say that to me just because she she hasn't been our mother. She never uh -huh. was. And uh -huh. it's just I don't have a relationship with her at all anymore. And I, I don't consider myself having a mom. So to me, she's just Kim. Yeah, I think I find that really, really interesting. And it, I think it's such an effective tool uh, for your own self-empowerment, right? Um, and, you know, and it's so, t and it's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, and I kind of feel like so many people in, you know, abusive relationships, non-relationships uh, should use it, should use it more. I think it's really empowering. And I was really struck by that. And uh, I have to share with you, I have a friend who uh she's now she's now divorced but um during her marriage her 
in-laws just treated her like shit. Uh, Nonstop, always. Um, Literally called her white trash. Um, And so her coping mechanism, like when she would speak to me, she said, well, uh, the mother-in-law, you know, went to the store um, the mother-in-law, and that's how she she called her. Always prefaced it with the, like right. it was just like a thing, and that was that was one of her coping mechanisms. So it's just I don't know. It's just really fascinating to me. Yeah, it definitely helps me because I hate saying my mom because it mm-hmm. it puts her in this place where she took care of me and was there for me, and and she wasn't. So she's just Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very smart of you. Um, you. So at, at one point in the book, you move to L.A. and you begin your life as a porn star. Yes. And tell me, how, how did doing porn empower you? I mean, I was kind of like stripping. It was something I genuinely wanted to do again. It wasn't going against my morals. Um, and I really, for me, I wanted to experience things that I thought I only could on camera. I wanted to do all all of these and explore my sexuality. And I just, I liked, I loved it. I felt you would get there and get your hair and makeup done and get pictures done. And I liked sex. So I, if it wasn't for how other people perceived it, it's it's the perfect job. Because to me, I was having so much fun and I was loving it. But the only negative was how friends, family, and outsiders view the occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, and did what were some of the the negative viewpoints expressed by these friends and family? My dad wanted nothing to do with me. He was just, and that was my biggest fear because from what I knew what porn was, I really wanted to do it. And I kept trying to like, okay, I'll only webcam or I'll only strip just not to have my dad be mad at me because I've always had a close relationship with him. And I knew, you know, we're from a strict religious Catholic family and I knew that wouldn't be something that he could be okay with. So it was really hard. And then my sisters were both in high school. So they were getting made fun of. Kids in class would like rehearse like some of the acting and the beginning of the scenes. Just being really mean to my sisters Mm. about it and always yelling my stage name at them. Mm. So it was that was like the hardest part of watching my family have to deal with my like my actions. So that was hard. And that was what I was afraid of when I started. Um, but I mean, besides my family, I don't really care what other people think about it, but it definitely did hurt my family. Yeah. Um, well, you answered my next question because I, you know, I was curious to hear about how, you know, hear from you. I mean, obviously you discuss it in the memoir, but, um, uh, about how, doing porn and empowered you and my next question was how did did it ever do the opposite and it sounds like the answer to that is yes just via the impact on people you care about right I mean it definitely did empower me I 
I loved that was something like when I left I really missed I loved seeing myself on box covers and magazine covers <laughs> and you know I was just happy like the job was fun mm-hmm. so besides like how society views it that's like that's the negative and um hurting my family definitely is a negative but if it was just me and the job and no outsiders it was all like empowerment yeah yeah and and that definitely comes across in on on the page in your in your book um um i'd say about 100 pages in to the book you talked about how you swore off relationships but then you got into one because you couldn't bear to be alone and um uh, let's talk about loneliness a little bit i mean now uh, um I, you have a very loving husband you have a child um but do you I can't imagine that you feel experience loneliness in that setting, but what, when you do feel lonely, what is, what is that feeling like to you? It's funny because now I, I think it's just cause I actually like love myself now. I love alone time. So <laughs> I feel like I'm never lonely anymore because I, you know, I have my daughter, she's a toddler, so I'm constantly busy. And then, when she goes to sleep, then I'm with my husband. So I feel like I get no alone time and I love alone time. So I think once I started loving myself, there isn't a loneliness that's inside me anymore because I have, I have, I'm so lucky to have a husband and a child and um, yeah, I just, I just don't experience that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I'm in this really weird lifestyle situation right now where um uh, I'm engaged. I'm trying to make the move uh, to live with my fiance and his three teen kids in Washington, D.C. And so and it's just it's just hard logistically. I've got stuff going on out here in California. Mm-hmm. And so half the, I literally spend half of my time in my little tiny San Diego studio apartment um, where I write and then the rest of the time I'm in DC. And when I'm in San Diego by myself, it's kind of nice because it's like living by yourself, you get to do what you want, when you want, you know? But I get lonely and it's really, really painful. And then I'll go back to DC and, you know, there's, there's always something going on. There's a, you know, a kid's coming home. I have to um, stop writing at a certain time so I can get in a workout before I figure out what I'm going to make for dinner and, um, you know, and, oh, we're out of milk and, and just like those little, little things, like it gets me outside of my own head. And then, um, after two weeks, I'm ready to come home to San Diego. Right. <laughs> right. I have ever felt lonely. Um, but I think loneliness is something that uh, a lot of writers experience. Um, so, uh, but um, I'm glad. I'm glad that it's not a part of your life anymore. Yeah. Um, While I was writing, like I barely found time to write. Like I would write during every nap time and when she would go to sleep. So I felt like I could never get enough time to write. 
Um, but I mean, like I do know now my daughter's in daycare a couple of times a week. And when I don't have anything to keep me busy, it's definitely like, well, now what do I do? So, so I can <laughs> right. see that like living, living alone and just like writing and having all the time. It could, I could totally see how you would feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as we were talking about you're a mother, your daughter's a toddler now. Um, how has motherhood changed you as a person? I feel like it's changed me in every way. Um, I just, she's, I've never lo- experienced love like that. I never knew mm-hmm. I could. You mean, I, I'm obviously in love with my husband, but just having a child, like just holding your child is just the most amazing thing in the world. And it's super special to me that I have a daughter to have a mother daughter relationship, even though I'll be on the mother side, it will still be my first mother daughter relationship. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, my everything it's my whole world and I just everything is all about her like even when me and my husband try to go on date nights all I do is talk about my daughter and like scroll through pictures of her and be like (laughs) she was here like she's my little obsession but I always say that she's my um my anti-depression medicine because I just can't be depressed when I have her she's just such a such a blessing so it definitely has made me happy way happier and it made sobriety so much easier because I used to deal with getting triggered and now I know like I have a I have a daughter I'm a mother so I can't be doing stupid stuff with my body I just I take care of myself better and just I'm a kinder person because I want to be an example for her so she just really brought a lot of positivity into my life. Uh, yeah, yeah, clearly. And, and you make that you make that clear uh, toward the end of toward the end of your book. Um, so I have to ask you something. So I follow you on Twitter. Oh, uh, wow. huh? I said, oh, wow. <laughs> and um, and follow me back, bitch. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So, but I, I follow you on Twitter, but all of your tweets are blocked due to quote unquote, quote, quote unquote, sensitive content. And I'm a technological idiot and I just am too impatient to figure it out how to change my settings to allow the quote unquote sensitive content to come through. Um, so what the heck are you tweeting about? <laughs> okay, so I have, I, I kind of live like two lives. So I have like my Amber, my Amber profile. I don't have a Twitter for my regular personal life. Um, I only have an Instagram and a Facebook, which is both very private. I don't want any porn guys looking at my daughter or anything. So I keep those private. Um, but my Carmen, which is where you follow me on Twitter, is basically all too um, promote my adult content. Mm -hmm. So it's all, it's all very explicit content that you're, that's why it's saying it's sensitive. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a whole different world. Like from motherhood, my Twitter is all porn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to just have to suck it up and, uh, uh, you know, go on Twitter and, and, you know, press a couple of buttons and figure out how to uh, allow, you know, change my settings. So I get, so I get to see some of these tweets because it's under, it's, it's under Carmen Karma, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, you're very smart to keep, you know, to compartmentalize. Yeah, I found I really have to do that, even though as much as like, my daughter is my world, and I'm obsessed with her. And you know, there's so many things I want to say about her. I'll never tweet about her. I don't tweet about mom. I want to keep things very separate. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's how it works in my personal life, too. When my daughter's at daycare, and I'm getting work done, I have two phones, one phone is mm-hmm. all for Carmen stuff. And then my other phone is all my mommy phone and my personal life phone. So I've, I found I have to do a lot of things to separate just so I don't become Carmen. You know, right. I want to stay Amber and the mom. That's what's most important. Right. Right. Um, no, that's, um, that's, that's very smart and necessary. So we're, we're running out of time here and, um, uh, I just wanted to share with you that, uh, and I'm not going to, you know, no spoilers, but uh, there was a scene that you share about uh, a communication, we'll call it, between you and uh, your husband, and I teared up. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the book, I cried. Um, and what, what, and I think it was because it was just something I identified with so much from my own life experience. Um, but the line was, maybe I needed to struggle to know how to survive. Maybe I needed to be hurt in order to know how not to hurt. And Amber, I just thought that was so beautiful and um, such, uh, I don't know, elegant way of juxtaposing the pain you've had in your life with, um, with the joy that you have, you have now. So, um, I just, I'm so so touched. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, with that, I guess we have to sign off, but Amber, uh, it was, it was wonderful to get to talk to you about your book. Um, again, it's Overcome, a memoir of abuse, addiction, sex work, and recovery. And I now know the official release date is July 23rd. I obviously was lucky enough to get my hands on an advanced uh, uh, galleys copy. But Amber, when it comes out on July 23rd, uh, where can people buy it? And obviously people can pre-order it now, but where, where can people get your book? Well, I know on Amazon, you can get the Kindle version, the audio version and the hardcover. So Amazon's an easy place to go find it. Sounds good. Okay. Amazon it is. And with that, we'll sign off. Um, Amber, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. It was great talking to you too. I'm glad you loved my book. Thank you so much.